Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. Great. It's so wonderful that you are joining us today as we are diving into our second week of a brand new series called Upstream. And in this series, we're building up to a moment where we as a church together are going to commit to being generous towards our city. And we've called the series Upstream because it's based on Jesus' radical way of life. You know, Jesus went around preaching about God's kingdom that's coming, and it was mentioned or known or labeled as an upside-down kingdom. And the people that lived in this upside-down kingdom had an upside-down way of life, a countercultural life. They lived upstream. And we're looking and exploring at what it would mean for Doxodeo Bloemfontein to be an upstream church, to live an upstream life. And we're looking at, at, at the words of Paul when he's speaking to the church of Thessaloniki in 1 Thessalonians. He's opening up to this church and he's opening statements. And I want to quickly read to you two things that he's mentioning to this upstream church. He says the following, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, he says, you became imitators, meaning they imitate something or someone. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message. That is the good news of Jesus, the way of God's kingdom, in the midst of severe suffering, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. In Paul's opening remarks, talking about this church, he commends them for living an upstream life, for following in Jesus' footsteps after hearing the good news. And in week one, Abel told us so beautifully what this picture looked like. What was the gospel all about? It's not just a one-way ticket to heaven. No, no, no. The gospel is so much more. It is actually heaven coming down to earth through all of us. And it's something that no one of us can produce by our own works, but it's something that God produces in us through faith. So, he then continues on, and he talks about them. And I think the verse that I'm reading next is kind of the key verse for this whole series. And we're going to spend the next three weeks just unpacking this verse a little bit. Because what Paul is doing, he says, he's busy giving a short summary of what an upstream life looks like. What does it look like to imitate Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus? And he says the following. He says, when we remember you guys, and I pray that whenever people remember Doxodeo, Bloemfontein, that they would say this. They would say, when we remember you guys, before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they remember. When people think about the church right here in Bloemfontein, I pray that they would see a work prompted by faith, a labor of love, and then ultimately an endurance of hope in Jesus Christ. So let's dive into today's heading. We're going to look and unpack the picture of faith. What does it mean to live a life and have a work 
produced by faith when I'm imitating Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at a man's life that I think is very famous. A lot of people know this guy. Probably if you haven't even been in church, you've probably heard about this guy. And we're going to look at how faith changed this man inside out. And then ultimately, faith became the vehicle through which he started to change the world around him. This man's name is Zacchaeus. And we read his story in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. So if you have your Bible with you and you'd like to open up there, we're going to be spending some time in in those pieces of Scripture. I'd like to invite you to do that with me. But I'm going to dive in by telling the story, and let's just walk through this man's life. And when we put on this lens of faith, we learn two things through the life of Zacchaeus. We learn that through faith, God's grace came to do a work in him. But not only did it do a work in him, also through faith, we see that God's grace came to do a work through Zacchaeus. So let's dive in. The first thing that we learn, God's grace through faith doing a work in us. Now to understand this a little bit better, you need some background on Zacchaeus. And um, in verse 1 of this chapter, Luke introduces Zacchaeus as being a chief tax collector. Sorry, correction there, verse 2, as being a chief tax collector. Guys, I think that is so significant, meaning Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. He was the tax collector of tax collectors. Now, why am I hammering this point so much? Well, uh, because like tax collectors today have kind of a bad rap, you don't tell the whole world you're working for Sars, if I'm correct. (laughs) In those days, it was quadruple that in terms of what tax collectors got. You see, the role that they played was so significant and so ugly, they were despised by everybody. In fact, if you look at the social ranking, you would get mother-in-law, dog, worm, Gentile, tax collector. Like tax collectors was so low on the scale. I think there was like a special place in hell for tax collectors. You will even see the writers mentioning sinners and tax collectors. So they were really despised and they were despised for two reasons. The first one is that tax collectors were seen as people who collaborated with the enemy. You see, tax collectors were local folk, guys living in the towns and in the cities in those days, knowing all of the people. They have local knowledge, and then they got recruited by the Roman Empire, and with the power of the Roman army, they went around collecting tax from that land, from their own people, to give to the enemy. So they were collaborating with the enemy. You can imagine how the people must have hated these guys. But they didn't just hate them because they collaborated with the enemy. No, they also hated tax collectors because they were extortionists. They would take advantage of this position of power and not just collect tax for the Roman Empire, but have a little side deal there for themselves make themselves a little bit more richer. And in some cases, like in Zacchaeus's case, a lot richer. So you can imagine 
That was kind of like the bittersweet life of a tax collector. On the one side, he had to serve the enemy, but on the other side, he had this opportunity of serving himself, serving his own desires and his, and his own comforts, and therefore, they were seen as the ultimate traitors, the traitors to the way of Israel, the way of this kingdom, of God's kingdom, and especially in Israel, tax collectors were seen as traitors to God's kingdom and his way of life. And that's the man that we read the story about. And this man, interestingly enough, meets Jesus. He hears about Jesus coming. Now, who's Jesus? There is rumors, there's whispers going around about this rabbi, Jesus, who is the Messiah. He is, in essence, the hero of Israel. He's the Captain America. And in fact, actually, Captain World. He's the one that will come and save everybody. He's the one that will come and deal with guys like Zacchaeus. And I know exactly how you should be dealing with him. I mean, this guy is a traitor to God's kingdom, and here comes a man saying he's ushering in the kingdom of God. What should he do with somebody like Zacchaeus? Well, I think the zealots had a few answers for him. I think it's quite clear. What do you do with traitors? And this is where our story starts. Verse 2. I want to quickly read to you guys. Zacchaeus hears about this Jesus, this traitor hears about a hero. The chief tax collector, verse 3, it says, After Zacchaeus heard about the fact that Jesus is coming to town, he also wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was a short guy, he couldn't see over the crowd. So Zacchaeus ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. I don't think we realize how significant it is that Zacchaeus, a man of power, a man of prestige, a rich guy, a wealthy man, would climb a tree. Do you realize how significant this is? In fact, a man of his power and stature, I would expect him to send a slave. Go and find out about that Jesus guy. I think he might be the guy, but just bring me some information. No. For some other reason, Zacchaeus thought it would be good for him to go himself. And then secondly, to do such an undignified action for a rich man, a man of great power. Guys, kind of think about this. Imagine you see Bill Gates climbing a tree to see a poor carpenter coming on its way. People would look, are you crazy? What are you doing? People would start laughing. It's unheard of. And here we have Zacchaeus doing one of the unthinkable things in his state, in his social space, because he desperately wanted to see Jesus. Now, Zacchaeus' behavior on climbing this tree, coming by himself, all to discover who Jesus is, are referred to by some people as being a very inquisitive guy. I mean, he was really inquisitive about who this man is, interested in Jesus. And I don't think, however, that the behavior we see of Zacchaeus was that of a man that's just inquisitive. See, inquisitive man would send a slave. No, this is the actions of a desperate man. A man that thought 
at the beginning of his way of life, to give himself for money and possessions would satisfy, but now sits in the place where he is rejected day in and day out. Should he climb out, the Romans will be on his back. Should, when he stays in, his own people is on his back. And I think he's given up. I think he's disappointed with where he ended up. And I think maybe he might be afraid to even say this, but I think there's a hope in his heart that maybe Jesus might just be the guy that can change things around for him. I think that's the Zacchaeus we see on this tree. You know what happens? This desperate Zacchaeus in that state discovers Jesus. And I don't know about you. Maybe you're exactly where Zacchaeus is. Maybe for you watching this sermon, if your friends would even know that you're watching a church service, they would laugh at you. But maybe, like Zacchaeus, you're at the end of your rope today and you really hope that Jesus could maybe be the one that changed things around for you. Your way of life and the things that you've placed your hopes in has totally disappointed you. Maybe you're like Zacchaeus on the tree, desperate, hoping to get a glimpse of what Jesus may offer. And if that's you, I have some good news for you. I want to read to you what happened. Verse 5, it says, Jesus reached the spot right there, and this might be the spot for you today. Jesus reached that spot where Zacchaeus was in the tree, and he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Now you must think your heart starts pounding. Zacchaeus' heart's pounding. Jesus is going to get me. No. He says, come down immediately because I must stay at your house today. When Zacchaeus heard these words, can you imagine his heart stopping and overwhelmed by the fact that the hero of Israel, the Messiah, wants to come to my house, a traitor? That's unheard of, impossible. So he came down, great speed, and he welcomed Jesus gladly. The truth is, that day, as Jesus and Zacchaeus ate a meal together, something happened in Zacchaeus' heart. And Zacchaeus changed from being a sinner, a traitor, into becoming a son, a son of the Most High. Guys, putting your faith in Jesus changes who you are. It changes you from a failure into a victorious son, from a sinner into a loved child of God. It can change you. And that's the first thing. Putting your faith in Jesus does a work in us. But not only does it change who you are, it can change the way you live. And that's the second part we see of Zacchaeus' life. Many times we stop at this part of Zacchaeus' story, but I think there's a big part of his story that's totally overlooked. And that's where we see God's grace doing a work through Zacchaeus as he starts to live by faith. 
So let's look at that. From verse 8, it says the following. Basically, Zacchaeus and Jesus had a great meal together. Everybody was there around. And in fact, the religious folks were looking down on them and saying, well, who's Jesus eating with sinners? I thought he's the hero, kind of that picture. And it was in that moment, probably, that we're looking at sometime during this meal that Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, he says to Jesus, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What's happening? Guys, what's happening here? Can you believe these are the words of the chief tax collector? <laughs> A man whose life was all about getting more money and more status and more power. He was known for being a greedy traitor. And what is he busy saying? He's busy saying, well, I'm going to give back half of what I have to the poor. How radical. How abundant is it not? It's actually the unthinkable thing that Zacchaeus is doing. He's going for abundance. He's going far and above, far beyond what is expected of him. You know what? It kind of looks like He's busy imitating the abundant favor of Jesus that was shown to him when he met this Jesus at the sycamore fig tree, saying, instead of me cursing you right now and sorting you out because you're a traitor to the kingdom and the message that I'm preaching, I'm giving you grace. And it's like he's aligning himself with Jesus' way of life? He's turning from a greedy traitor into a generous son. That's what's busy happening. That's exactly what we're seeing. Where Jesus did a work in him, now Jesus is busy doing a work through him. You know what I find really interesting? It's right after this moment of alignment, this moment of Zacchaeus getting on board with Jesus' mission, getting on board with this kingdom, that Jesus says the following. He says, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You know what's so powerful about this statement for me? I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus' salvation, the salvation that he brings is not just a moment of faith where God does a work in us and we go to heaven. No. His salvation is so big, it's so great. It didn't just come and change who we are, but it fully changed how we live and he's busy doing a work through us. I love the way James puts it when he reflects on this reality and this truth. James 2 verse 14, he says... What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? Now, I want to make it clear. James is not here talking about we needing to work for our salvation. No, he's actually talking about we working from our salvation, from a place of being saved by faith. Now we get to partake in the good news in this new kingdom of Jesus. We get to live by faith, not just save by faith, but also live by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? 
Well, I think it's really quite simple. To live by faith means to take God by his word and obey every single step of the way. Where the world says, gather everything up that you can possibly get, store up treasures on earth. Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven. Where the world says, you need to fight for your place, get a position, get a position of where people look at you, where you're seen, looked up to. He says, give up your place, be humble, serve those around you. Where the world says, get revenge, kill your enemy, Jesus says, forgive, love your enemy. How radical, how upstream, how counter-cultural to the way of this world when we trust Jesus and we follow in his footsteps. What would give you and me the capacity and the power to live a life like that? Well, guys, it's only when you see that you were once an enemy of God and that he came down to love you, that you will have the capacity and the faith to do the same to the enemies around you. Works produced by faith in the finished work of Jesus puts people on a mission. These works produced by this kind of faith are the kind of faith that can change a city. Doxodeo, my prayer is that our faith will not just stop at a place where God does a work in us, but that it will well up and it will burst out like streams of living waters flowing through us. And it will change the communities and the city and the country that we're in. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the life of Jesus. Thank you that Jesus' life is not just enough to regenerate us, make us new, birth a new creature within us, make us children of God. But Father, thank you that the life of Jesus is also enough and his sacrifice is also enough to put us on mission. On a mission to see this world change into a place where God reigns. Where the kingdom of God saturates every single house, every room, every street corner, every school, every business area in this city. And Father, today, I want to pray people have not yet taken that step, if they were at the place where Zacchaeus was in that sycamore fig tree, that they would hear that Jesus wants to come home with them. Jesus wants to live in their hearts. If that's you today and you've decided to give your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to tell someone. To tell someone about what you've decided to do. And then secondly, Father, I want to pray for those that's already given their lives to you. I pray for your guidance as they decided to live by faith. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.